Well, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another week. Thank you for the chance to gather together once again through our online medium. Thank you that your spirit is with us even as we are separate from one another. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. We pray that we would leave different for having met you. We pray that your word would be open to us, that our hearts would be receptive. In your name we pray. Amen. So, for many Christians, it seems like the Trinity is composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit gets mentioned occasionally and it gets nodded to in our doctrinal statements, but it's rarely acknowledged or referenced in the regular life of the Church or of the individual Christian. Today, appropriately, is the Sunday of Pentecost, and we are starting a three-part series talking about this forgotten member of the Trinity and his importance in our lives. Now, there's a, a book I read and I'm getting uh, some inspiration from, and I'd like to recommend it to you as just something to trigger your, your thinking and to, to push you a little further if this is something you're interested in reading about. The book is called Forgotten God, and it's by Francis Chan and Danae Yankowski probably butchering that name, but apologies. Um, anyway, I recommend that to you. So our series that we're starting is about having more of God. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do I want that? Do I really want more of God? And that doesn't seem like the sort of question that a pastor is supposed to be asking, but it is one that we need to answer and that we need to actually think about because if we start hearing from God, if we start listening to God and having more of God in our lives, it's going to change how we live. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to shift our priorities and, and what we consider important and how we like to spend our free time and where we spend our money and what we, what we do with all of the things that we've been given. In a lot of ways, we would like to keep believing that maybe we're the ones in history that God has called to a comfortable life, that we're not the ones that God has called to sacrifice and to lose and to give up for the cause of his name and his church, that we're not the ones who've been called to persecution and martyrdom and, and pain and rejection for him, that, that maybe we're the ones who've been called to comfort. And of course, the truth is that the older that you get, the harder that that is. You know, when I was when I was 19 and decided, okay, God, you've really got me. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm following you. That wasn't that wasn't that difficult of a decision. But I'm a bit older now. I'm I'm 32. I have a wife. I have a couple of kids. And you know, if if I'd been 19 and God had said to me, I want you to go move to an island that doesn't even have electricity in the South Pacific and minister the gospel to them. That would have been one thing, you know, I would have packed my bag and I would have gone. But for me to do that now with with a family and with, you know, we, we have a place where we live and we have cars and like we have different things that are weighing on our lives that we think about. And it means that the stakes of this question of will you follow God? What will you give up for him? the stakes get higher the older we are. And so it can be harder to make those shifts. And so for those of us who are, who are younger, this, is, this might be an easier sermon than it is 
for those of us who are older in years because we have more baggage, we have more things to carry along. And, and I think that's kind of fun because it, it feels like a bit of an inversion from the way that things normally are. It usually feels like that those of us who are more advanced in our years are more prepared to follow God and that those of us who are younger would rather do our own thing. But in this instance, the question that we're asking is actually the other way around. So really, the thing that we need to, once we've dis determined that, once we've decided, okay, yes, I want to do this, we, we can ask ourselves why. Why is this worth talking about? And, you know, today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the annual celebration of the, the, uh, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's worth mentioning that in Acts chapter 1, at the foundation of the church, just before Jesus leaves, his last command to his disciples is, one of his last commands, is about the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, he tells them to not even leave Jerusalem, the city where they are, but to wait for the gift that the Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter, or in verse 8, just a little further, Jesus says that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is something that is worth waiting for, but it's also something that empowers us to do what God has for us. And it's, it's pretty important. We just finished a series from the book of Acts talking about different people in that, in that book and who were living in resurrection power and how we can live in that. And all of those people really were doing that through the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus tells us that it is better that the Spirit, that we have the Spirit, than that He stays with us. And I think for most of us, that's uh, that's hard to swallow. You know, like I, I don't know about you. I would love to be able to have lunch with Jesus. I would love for Jesus to sit down across the table and, you know, pick up his coffee and, and to be able to have a conversation with him. And in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel like having the Holy Spirit inside me is better than, than that. But I have to use faith and believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he told us that, that Jesus knew what he was talking about, knew a little better than I do, about what is good for us and, and how best we can serve him and serve his purposes. And so we believe that having the Holy Spirit is better than even having a physical Jesus living with us. Because the truth is that every Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have the Spirit living in us. We call this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We see this in lots of places in the New Testament where, like Galatians 4, 6, and 1 Corinthians 3, 16, tell us that if we're saved, we have the Spirit. And so this isn't, this isn't a question. This isn't, do I have the Holy Spirit? Don't I have the Holy Spirit? If you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. You don't, you don't need to put a question mark around that. The Holy Spirit indwells you if you are a follower of Christ, if you are following him. Now, this is important because we believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within us to bring us God's power and to empower us to live out God's way and to, to live in love and live in, in compassion and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and all of these things. But for many of us, we have to wonder. And the world looks at us and they wonder. Because imagine that I came to you and I said that 
God has entered me and has given me a supernatural ability to play basketball. That we're going to take the multi-purpose room upstairs and we're going to we're going to set it up to play basketball and I'm going to show you what holy spirit basketball looks like. You would probably expect to see some three-pointers. You'd probably expect to see a couple of dunks. You you would probably expect to see something different. That if God had come into me and given me a supernatural ability to play basketball, you would expect to see something. And yet, many of us claim to have God living in us, to have the Holy Spirit within us for a supernatural ability to love, to be kind, to accept people, to understand, to empathize. And yet, do we see that difference? Is there any wonder that the world questions whether this is real when they see Christians who claim to have the power of the Holy Spirit and yet live no differently? So we have to learn, we have to grow, and we have to live in the power of the Holy Spirit if we want to be effective witnesses the way Jesus commands. Ephesians 2.22 tells us that in him we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to do just a really, really short version here because next week we're going to be talking about the theology of the Holy Spirit. We're really going to dive into more of these questions. But for now, we need to have some, some quick quick answers just so we can move forward. The first thing to know is that the Holy Spirit is not a new idea to the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the very first page of the Bible, it says that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is not a new addition in the New Testament. The next thing to know if we're doing this really fast is in John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus says that he will ask the Father and the Father will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That word there, advocate, it also translates sometimes as comforter or companion or helper. It's a Greek word and it's parakletos. And that word can have a little bit of different meaning because our languages don't exactly translate. But this isn't actually the word that we need to, we need to concentrate on. The emphasis that we should be focused is the word another. Because he's just like Jesus. Whatever Jesus was to the disciples, we're getting another helper, another companion, another advocate, just like Jesus. And that's where we need to focus. So the doctrine of the Trinity is another thing that we need to focus on just a little bit. That there is one God who is three persons. Now, it's not that there are three gods. It's that there's one God who is one essence and has three persons of that one essence. Now, this is a complex and difficult doctrine, and we're not going to dive into it today. But we, need, we just need to focus in right now on the idea that the Holy Spirit is God, and that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit isn't a force. It's not um, an energy. The Holy Spirit is a person. He, we address him as he with a, with a personal pronoun. It's not, he isn't an it. And I may slip into that, and, you know, it's something that's kind of easy to do, but the Holy Spirit is He, it's not it. So we need to, we need to make sure that we get that right. Interestingly, it's very, very rare that historically we see people who have an orthodox position on Jesus, who believe Jesus the same way that all Christians everywhere do, to be fully God and fully human and the Son of God and pre-existent, 
that they would have an orthodox position on Jesus and an unorthodox position on the Spirit. Interestingly, usually those who deny the Spirit in some way also deny the Son in some way. So this might not be a bad way for you to check out what somebody thinks about, about Jesus, is checking how, what they think about the Holy Spirit. So like I said, next week we're going to actually do theology of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to like put a black box around this for now. We're just going to kind of shelf those questions until next week, any more that you have. And uh, John's going to be talking about that, and I'm really excited for that sermon. But for today, we, we're just going to talk about what does it mean to have a real relationship with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be living in relationship with God? How can we have more of him? Now, the idea of living in a relationship with God, it's, it's not a bad idea. It's not wrong by any means, but it often gets misunderstood. And, you know, you and I are in, in somewhat of a relationship, right? Like I'm speaking to you and you're listening, but right now I can't hear you. In fact, I, I can't even see the comments that you may leave on this video because I'm recording this beforehand. It's not Pentecost where I am. It's Pentecost where you are and where we're listening to this, but not right now for me. And, and so our relationship is really stretched by that. And, and so there are ways that the idea of a relationship with God stretches. I mean, most of us don't, don't go out for coffee with God. We don't usually hear a voice from God. It, it's, most of us consider it to be kind of unusual when we, when we hear from God. But to live in relationship means that you live constantly with that other person in mind. You know, like I live in relationship with my wife and maybe you're not married. So maybe there's a different example that we could think of. Maybe think about parents or uh, friends or your colleagues from work or, or whatever, whatever sort of interpersonal relationship would help you to understand this. But the idea is when I make decisions, when I live my life, when I do things, what I do affects this other person. It affects my wife and our life together affects the decisions that I make. I don't make decisions in a vacuum. I check with her. I care about what she thinks. I care about how, how that dynamic continues. And so the idea that we should be living in a relationship with God is that idea. It's the idea that we remember him and that our our lives and our decisions are affected by that relationship. And, and we don't just make them in a vacuum as if God didn't exist or didn't matter. Um, it, it also ties into the idea that the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that when we accept Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. This is that idea of the indwelling that I was talking about earlier. And if we're really conscious of this, then we have to ask ourselves, what would you never do in church? Why are you doing it with your body? Now, there are some things that the Bible blesses that we would never do in church. And so we, we need to make sure that we're thinking about this right, right? Like you can't press this idea too, too hard. Like, you know, if you're in a marriage relationship, there, there are things that the Bible blesses about a marriage relationship that shouldn't happen in church. But there are other things that we do, you know, would you would you ask for a room in the church to get together with friends to watch a movie? Not, not that movies are bad, but there are certain movies that, you know, you wouldn't come to church and tell people, oh, hey, I went and watched this. 
and you should watch it too, right? Like there, there are just, there are some things that we go, oh, that's, that's not the sort of thing that you should be doing in church. And if the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we need to be asking that question a lot more regularly than we think. We can also look back at the beginning of this year, we did a series called Happy New You. And in the first sermon of that series, I shared some, some, uh, some things that we can do to work on our relationship with God. And there were, there were five things that, that we can do to live more in relationship with God, to make it more prominent in our lives, to grow closer with God. Those five things were community. This is coming to church. This is being part of small groups. This is having spiritual friendships. Uh, the second thing was prayer, not just talking at God, but taking time to listen as well. The third one was the word. It was reading your Bible, studying it, taking in sermons, like what you're doing right now. The fourth one was service, being engaged in the work of God, volunteering in, in the church and in different places that are advancing the work of God. The fifth way was in worship. And usually we do that through singing, but whether that's in your car or whether that's in the corporate uh, environment of the church, but where we lift our praises to God. And then from the book Forgotten God, uh, he gives us a couple more suggestions about how we can work on our relationship with God. And he raises two particular things. He talks about comfort and volume. And with comfort, the spirit is called our comforter. That's one of the ways that that word parakletos gets translated as the comforter. And for most of us, especially here in North America, we're pretty comfortable. Why do you need a comforter if you're already comfortable? Why do you need an advocate if you're already safe? And for many of us, we're living lives that don't need the Holy Spirit. We're living lives that are safe and are comfortable and we don't need him and so we never get to experience him. And so if you want more of God, finding ways to push outside of those comfort zones to get to to do things that you wouldn't normally do, that's one of the ways that we can get closer to God. And the second way is the volume question. Our lives are very loud. I don't know if you've noticed. This social distancing time, the, the coronavirus has actually been really cool for our ability to quiet down our lives. You know, we've, we've had to scale back on a lot of our social engagements. We've had to scale back on a lot of the programs that we've been part of. And I hope that this has been a time for you to get closer to God. I hope that you've taken some of this time to invest in your relationship with him. But for so many of us, we're, we're multitasking all the time. You know, when was the last time that you had an uninterrupted moment with God. You know, like even right now, I've got, I'm, I'm preaching to a laptop, but I have a cell phone beside me. It could start ringing at any moment. Good thing I turned it off. But for most of us, we have this opportunity for, for interruption at any moment. And sometimes we look for it. We don't want to admit that, but sometimes we look for that interruption. And so we need to take time to unplug and to focus in and to make God the actual priority of that time if we want to experience him. Because God doesn't play second fiddle. I don't know if you noticed. But so the, the question for us then is, how are we going to carve out time and energy for God this week? I would encourage you to reflect on that, to, to seek out time with, with the Holy Spirit and to let him minister to you, to get into your Bible, to find time for prayer and for worship 
as we look forward to when we can engage in community and service once again together. So to, just to close us off today, I want to I give you a blessing, just a benediction out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And often when we, when we give a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3, we get to the, the verses about doing exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. But I wanted to read this, this other section that comes before that, actually, where Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.